The Fund for Women and Girls is a nonprofit organization in Chester County that is passionate about providing girls spaces to participate in community advocacy. GirlGov is a group of about 20 high school girls from across the county that meet bi-weekly to work on advocacy projects of their choosing. We are creating this podcast as a platform for GirlGov members to share their work, passions, thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Today's group is the Environmental Justice Committee coming together to talk about what they learned about fast fashion, greenwashing, and environmental racism in their community. Hi, I'm Divya, and I'm 17. I'm Katie, and I'm 17. I'm Serene, and I'm 17. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Pooji, and I'm 18. I'm Suhani S, and I'm 17. (laughs) Great. Yeah, um, so I think the first thing that we kind of, you know, were interested in um, in terms of, like, environmental issues was, like, the role of the fashion industry. Um, and so, you know, I guess we can begin with that. Yeah, I think most people are pretty familiar with fast fashion brands, even if they don't, in their head, identify them as fas- fast fashion brands. Um, they're very popular on TikTok, and you see a lot of people wearing them, and, uh, you know, the trend cycles for fashion are moving very quickly, and so a lot of people, they want to fit these trends, and so they've been you know, looking for cheap and affordable ways to get those articles of clothing. And that's where fast fashion enters the picture. And I think it's really important to talk about because of just how massive its impact is, especially in nowadays time when the fashion industry consumes much of our pop culture as well as our personal lives. And I thought it was really interesting that apparently the fashion industry consumes one-tenth of all water of all industries, which I think is an insane amount. And it's definitely important to not neglect the impact that like bad fashion choices or like a lack of consciousness when making fashion decisions um has on the environment i think that's like especially true as the industry grows even further because obviously the last few years we've seen some companies pop up here and there but i think it's only going to get more widespread as the years go on because online shopping is so popular now with covid and everything and so that water, that's a really interesting statistic. I feel like that's only going to go up. Yeah, I remember when we were trying to come up with a campaign. Um, this was one of the things we talked about because it is so massive now. And, like, it's been starting to be revealed more and, like, people are getting more aware of it. But I feel like there's this, like, sense that we're more conscious of our fashion decisions. But it's, like, because of, like, greenwashing and what companies are doing, we actually aren't doing all that much. But we, like, feel like we are. So it's this weird, like, conundrum. Does anyone want to explain greenwashing? Yeah, um, so as far as, like, my knowledge goes, I think it's, like, basically, like, a PR move by a company um, in terms of, like, trying to market or brand their item and clothing in this um, in this example to, like, be more environmentally conscious or whatnot. Um, I think H&M and, like, Zara have, like, a Join Life collection. I think that's what they're Um, environmentally conscious line is called um, and when you actually examine it further you can see that they're not actually doing um, anything that positive for the environment um, even though they claim to be. Yeah and I think that a lot of this stems from consumers nowadays are becoming more aware of their role and how their purchasing decisions play into larger like economic consequences and It's really difficult because obviously like people want to, you know, they have control over their own decisions. And so they want to, 
use their actions to make some good in the world. But also, like, one person is just one person, and it can be very hard and very discouraging to put that much responsibility on yourself. And so people are looking up to larger organizations that have more reach and more resources to make a difference. And so there's, like, a pretty big movement of people trying to advocate for more sustainability and the brands that they love. And, uh, you know, that results in a lot of... <laughs> that results in a lot of um, attempts by companies, and it might it might be a good natured attempt, but sometimes it doesn't pan out the way they're expecting to, or it really does not make as big of a difference as they want it to. And so, in the end, um, it's still going to be pretty negative for the environment. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of putting the onus on consumers. Because a lot of the time, it isn't the specific consumer choices that affect the environment, but it is the corporations. And so greenwashing kind of makes it seem as though that individual's choices has a greater impact than the corporation as a whole. And it makes it difficult for consumers to kind of trust that they're making eco-friendly decisions when in reality, they really aren't. And they're just kind of giving in to what that corporation wants them to think. Exactly. And I think that's um, a really good point, especially when we discuss like fast fashion and like environmental issues in general um it touches on so many different aspects like for example like migrant workers rights and like the global south and like as a consumer we might think that we're making the right purchase or whatnot but in order for a fast fashion company to be truly sustainable their entire like supply chain needs to be altered and like they should not be releasing trends in um as fast um of a manner that they currently are um and so that shift is like something that needs to start you know at the root of a company and a consumer um you know while they're all while there are alternatives you know such as thrift shopping um and you know you know switching over to like more sustainable clothing options um it ultimately is you know very difficult to make the right decision i think yeah i think a reason why so many people are talking about fast fashion is because it's a very complicated issue and we want to talk about ethics and we want to talk about like what is the right thing to do. But for many people, like fast fashion is the only thing you can afford if you want to have enough clothes in your wardrobe and, you know, be able to dress for all the seasons. And so it's this very multidimensional issue and you know, like a lot of people say, oh, luxury brands, obviously, like they're probably not using the most sustainable techniques, but they're charging so much higher. So, you know, why aren't we looking towards them and why are we only looking at fast fashion brands? Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, that's like a very important thing to keep in mind, too, when we talk about it is like there's so many peoples on each side of the issue and it can be really easy to accidentally like um, like leave out one of these different facets of the conversation. The next kind of transitional thing that we want to talk about was like waste management and like more specifically incineration um, and kind of the role that incineration has played in our local community um, and our neighboring community um, in Chester, Pennsylvania. So it actually, you know, just was last year um, on the Environmental Justice Committee. We were like researching about like local environmental injustices, you know, near us. And we um, learned more about the Covanta incinerator, um, which has been, you know, polluting the city of Chester since the 1990s. Um, and so that's ultimately 
what kind of opened our eyes. Um, and it, you know, definitely was Girl Gov that gave us like the opportunity to like dive deeper into that issue. Um, and so that's ultimately how, you know, waste management, you know, came up on our minds. I definitely agree with Pooji. Like being in Girl Gov, it put us like in touch with people that were able to kind of connect us with the issue and explain to us the magnitude of the situation. And I think without Girl Gov, having not having those resources would have made it difficult uh, to kind of like see how well connected it is to our lives and those around us. I also think even just being forced to like examine like the different environmental issues around us and like choose one, it was so difficult. But like it made us acknowledge this like massive issue of waste management that is kind of overlooked a lot and like even just with like what we were talking about with fashion and like the disposal of all of that like everything kind of tied in at this one point that's like very relevant in our area so girl gov kind of forced us to like really look at where a lot of these problems come together yeah i know i think me personally, I'm sure many people also feel this way, but I had a general idea there are problems with waste management and the ways we do that. But it wasn't until I joined GirlGov and got involved with this project that I really realized specifically what those impacts were, as well as how they were involved in communities around us. Often when we think of issues like that, we see them as these issues elsewhere, you know, and you don't think of it in your own backyard. Exactly. Um, and also being that our committee is literally environmental justice, um, incorporating that aspect of understanding like this is very much a racial issue as much as it is an environmental issue um, and the location of the Covanta incinerator is strategic um, and there's a reason why it's in a predominantly black low-income community um, and that's important to address when we talk about communities um, that are disproportionately affected by um, environmental issues um, and how environmental issues like exacerbate already existing economic and racial um, injustices. So, Exactly. And I think a lot of the time when these environmental injustices occur, corporations will use an excuse as increasing jobs and workforce in that community when in fact it just hurts that community, both in an economic way as well as in a health way. Um, and as... Pooji had noted before, um, incineration had produced the fewest jobs compared to reuse and recycle, and I think that's a key selling point oftentimes for uh, local governments as well as corporations, saying that recycling and that sort of technology doesn't have as, um, as good of an effect as incineration does, and I think it would be great to dive in at how that isn't true. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially like we just mentioned like greenwashing in the fashion industry, but like greenwashing in the sector of incineration um, is also so prevalent. Like Covanta has spent millions of dollars into these PR stunts basically um, to come off as like this better option and they label it waste to energy. Um, but that is a fallacy that has been disproven. Um, and so it, incineration is like the dirtiest way to produce energy, um, far more than polluting, um, than coal burning, which was cited by Chester residents. So, um, you know, it's very interesting to see just how, um, you know, much this corporation will do to stay relevant. Um, something I wanted to bring up related to that was like, something else I wanted to bring up relating to that was how like Chester residents listening to their voices as opposed to just the corporations themselves is really important because I feel like we've had instances where we've been misled by like websites that claim that Covanta 
is waste to energy and you have to really look at what the actual residents are saying and like talking to them really it it's like part of why we wanted to do our campaign which is a letter campaign which like raises their voices so that it's actually the residents being listened to rather than just the authorities and like people running these PR stunts. So I guess um, a little bit more of a background on like this specific plant. Um, so the Covanta plant is located in Chester um, and it's one of the largest, if not the largest incinerators in the country. Um, and it burns up to 3,510 tons of municipal and industrial waste every day. And they're the largest air polluter in Chester City um, and one of the top few air polluters in the seven county Philadelphia region. And they operate without two of the four pollution control devices common to trash incinerators. Um, and, you know, it just shows again how like Covanta, you know, is not, um, while they claim to, you know, if you visit the plant, they have all these signs um, up on, you know, surrounding Covanta that's like, they surpass all government regulations and they're safe and clean when in reality that is not what's actually going on. Um, and we see that because I think it was cited that like 25% of adults in Chester have asthma. And I think we were looking at the numbers for our campaign last year and like even more like children are being diagnosed with asthma. And so this issue also connects to like this idea of like generational health issues um, again and who is really, you know, suffering because of this poor black and brown individuals. So um, I think that's important to know. And I know some of those statistics, you can, like, also hear the actual, like, you can hear, like, more about what the actual residents have experienced when, I think you talked to some at the uh, rally last year, and again, it was this last weekend, so if you have anything to Yeah, um, so they had, like, their first um, Environmental Justice Day rally last year, and then um, last Saturday was, like, the second annual one, um, and... Um, I think a story that really stuck f with me last year was an elderly woman talking about how, like, in the summertime, like, they can't open up their windows because, like, the air is just that bad outside. Um, and, like, in the morning, like, their car um, and windows, like, will be covered with, like, this film of, like, smog, basically. And one of, like, the chair people, Zuline Mayfield, who's, like, a huge, huge um, spearheader, basically, of this movement in Chester, um, talked about how, like, she in good conscience could like not sell her house in Chester to anyone. Um, and she like wanted to make sure that they didn't have any kids because she knew that like the kids would be impacted due to like the asthma and like the lung diseases. So, you know, it, these like firsthand stories that, you know, we've heard and had like the privilege of, you know, listening to is like really what I think the core of this movement is about. And, as Pooja is talking about, the large-scale impacts on the health of the population is kind of, well, to put it like lightly, an abomination. Because the asthma rates in that one small town is five times the national average, which shows how directly impactful Covanta has on the health of residents. And seeing how, uh, seeing how racism is almost always seen as like a health risk towards people, um, is. I don't think it's described as well. It's like the kind of the effects of racism and seeing how Covanta had put it in a marginalized community and distinctly and purposefully put it in a city like that where there isn't representation or those that are listening to them is disappointing and that there's 
places around the country that continue to use Covanta as their incinerator and refuse to listen to the residents pleading to stop using it is even more disappointing. Um, as of last year, we had talked to um, a what was it? City Council Council in Ocean City, um, Maryland, about the issues of Covanta. And many of them had refused to consider stop using Covanta as they had continued to peddle Covanta's um, rhetoric about how reuse and recycle is not helping the environment and that incineration is actually better for the environment. And I, I think it's disappointing to see how government officials continue to not want to do research and not want to listen to residents that are telling their firsthand accounts. Yeah, and just to like a little bit of background um, to that sentiment, you know, for the listeners, um, the trash that's being burned in um, the Chester uh, Covanta is not, you know, purely Chester residents um, trash. It's trash that comes from Philadelphia and New York um, and Ocean City, Maryland. um, And that's why, you know, this issue is labeled an environmental injustice and is a direct example of environmental racism because um, Chester residents should not have to bear the brunt of another city's trash. Um, And that's what they've been pleading for. And it's ultimately just a very gross injustice because once again, like this is not their trash, but yet Um, City council officials, you know, think it's okay to dump their waste in this town. I think that's kind of the most disappointing part of this. Another thing I wanted to talk about was just how prevalent of an issue this is in, like, our local area. But, like, no one I know other than the people I've worked with in GirlGov have heard about it. And, like, I genuinely had no idea this was an issue till I started working on this campaign. So, like, just the scale of, like, these kinds of intersectional issues that are right here that no one knows about and like no one's aware of where their trash is going and it's just kind of put into perspective like how actually close we are about all of this do you guys learn about environmental justice at all like the racism of the environment in school um really yeah i remember in like my apes class it was like it was like a very like brief unit and since it wasn't in the textbook my teacher obviously didn't want to like delve into it too much well, I took no. AP Environmental Science this year, and there was not a word about it. Like, I think we just recently talked about waste disposal methods, and they didn't even talk about incineration. They only took, talked about landfills and things. There was like a whole unit on atmospheric pollution and landfills and everything, and they managed to not mention this issue at all, which I think is probably part of the problem, but that's a whole other issue. Did they talk about racism in environmental? Oh, it no. was just nothing. learning about it. Wasn't, there was no societal anything involved in this class. It was pretty much just... These are the problems. It's up to you to interpret the further implications of the problems beyond just what they do to the environment, what pollutants they release. I feel like the curriculum, the way it's set up and like having to prep for the exam, it very much like limits how much you're able to like broaden your perspective on the issue because it seems like such an isolated thing that's like environmental science and then like everything else. It's just never really no one ever connects the dots for you in school. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's disappointing too because the class is sometimes marked I'm not trying to bash AP environmental science here. I think I've learned so much through that class about these issues too, but it's they have put such emphasis on how the people are involved in environmental problems, how they're affected, yet there's no discussion of that specifically. Which is sort of disappointing. Yeah, because you're all in, like, multiple AP classes and taking rigorous courses and you don't get any sort of environmental justice education. 
I think the one thing, I was taking A Push and Apes at the same time, which I think helped What's me. Apes? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, AP U.S. History and AP Environmental Science at the same time. And I think, like, learning about redlining in America, which is, like, neighborhoods being drawn out in certain places, and learning about, like, the environmental issues at the same time, like, kind of forced me to think about them together. But as for someone that, like, didn't learn about them simultaneously... They seem completely separated, but they were, like, literally happening at the same time in the same place. And I was learning about them together. And so, like, I feel like that should be more heavily emphasized, especially because there was also so much racism going on in America at the time. Yeah, I feel like environmental, like, the curriculum around that and, like, um, in terms of, like, how schools, like, approach that, I think that itself could be, like, a whole podcast episode because there are still schools that, like, don't even have, like, climate change, like, information in their curriculum. So, like... The conversation about talking about how, um, you know, environmental racism, uh, I think, unfortunately, a long way to go for that. It's like a school is intended to prepare us for our futures in society. They just figure out how to prepare us for a changing society in the mm-hmm. future, I think. It seems like it's still very rooted in, you know, old facts, maybe. It's like the fact that even this year we were, like, talking about how climate change is this undeniable truth. That was, like, woo, progressive. And I don't think it's enough, you know? If you really want to make a change, then you have to start in school, basically teaching kids these types of things. Next, I kind of had like the history of the environmental justice movement in Chester and like a little bit about um, the organizations that we worked with. One of the main organizations that, you know, we worked with um, is called CIRCLE. It stands for Chester Residents Concerned for Quality Living. Um, They're a grassroots organization that has really spearheaded this movement for environmental justice. And then we also worked with Energy Justice Network, another org that works closely with Chester, uh, with um, CIRCLE, sorry. And lastly, Campus Coalition Concerning Chester, also known as C4, which is like a group of college students, um, mostly at Swarthmore College, who also work closely with CIRCLE. And so I can just give like my two cents about like what I've learned from grassroots organizing and community organizing. I think that's ultimately like my the biggest takeaway that I will take from my two years in GirlGov is because like I I would say that I'm like very fortunate to have worked with um, organizers in Chester because I've learned so much for the, from them and like learned firsthand like the power of community organizing. You know, when I went to like the first Environmental Justice Day rally and like the one last Saturday, you can clearly see like how much of like a community issue this is and how you know like when we were like walking towards the incinerator like people coming out of their houses and like seeing what was going on and like showing their support um and it shows just how much community solidarity there is um there just needs to be like more i think widespread education combined with that in terms of like in the neighboring communities like where we live um you know which is obviously much more affluent and like not as aware of these issues and so i think community organizing is like ultimately one of the most important things for any movement um and when we talk about like these like national movements and whatnot i think um it all starts at like the community level and like multiple communities organizing because this is not the only environmental injustice and there are many incinerators across the country, um, many um, pipelines across the country, you know, many um, industries that pollute and, you know, damage communities. Um, And so when you look at it that way, I think knowing your community and like being in solidarity with your community um, 
is you know really important and you know something that we should all keep in mind i know i only made it to one meeting per circle which is unfortunate and i wish i could have made it to more but just from that one meeting that i attended it was really incredible to see just how like educated and driven all the people working on it were it's it's really impressive to see the power of a community coming together to fight this issue and it's very inspiring especially when we look at society in a greater scale and see so little action on the surface but then when you dig deeper and you see these groups it's very it's nice to see people trying to do something about it and it makes you want to help i also think it's unfortunate that we need these kinds of groups to speak up for the people literally living there because um even though the groups also struggle to be heard sometimes like the fact that the very residents of chester are being silenced and like ignored and disregarded like says speaks volumes about how we how this nation views that community or like minorities i definitely agree i think this is one like large example of environmental injustice out of like hundreds or thousands or even millions across the country and i think it like shows that a there's a pattern of corporations taking advantage of marginalized communities and exploiting their resources as well as their health and their economic situation to fund themselves and then take away their voice and make them incapable of having the resources to change the situation. I think one thing that I heard last Saturday um, that really described grassroots organizing well to me was the fact that like Covanta is like fighting against this movement um you know for like monetary gain like they want to expand their profits and whatnot um Circle is fighting um you know for this movement you know for survival for literal survival and like a basic necessity of clean air and you know when you look at it side by side you can see like how um how that mentality is like why I think grassroots organizing in the end will ultimately win um, and why Circle and you know so many other organizations have persisted you know since you know the 90s uh, which is when Circle was founded um, and ultimately how this movement is far bigger than any of us um, but you know to be a part of it I think is you know something that we should all um, try to incorporate as much as we can, um, you know, wherever we are. Um, one of the things we wanted to do to kind of play our role and, like, from where we live and, like, as young people, uh, we thought it would be helpful to directly reach out to our state representatives and local representatives and people in power that can actually, like, if you hear an issue being advocated for by the youth, like, it has a little more power because you can, like, that's the future generation. And so we wanted to reach out to people in power about like demanding attention directed at the issue in Chester. And so uh, there were a few issues we covered in our letter to them, including like the medical aspect of all of this pollution and racism and economics. Exactly. We like talked about the health issues that many of the residents face, as well as their testimonials and their personal observations they've had as residents that face firsthand the effects of the environmental injustices, um, as well as we included statistics that show the overarching pattern of environmental justices against marginalized communities. And then we also um, talked about House Bill 527. Yeah, and I think we really wanted to emphasize that combination of data but then also people's own lived experiences because 
you know, it depends on who you're talking to, but sometimes we get really overwhelmed by all the numbers we're seeing and all the statistics that are really overwhelming and like, you know, kind of put you in this mindset of like, oh, like, you know, there's so many bad things happening and it's so hard to keep track of what's happening and how bad it is. Um, so yeah, just being able to share someone else's story and them just like speaking from the heart, I think that's also very powerful. And sometimes it's really hard to look at a number and picture like how that manifests in the real world. Like, what does this mean exactly? But then when you have someone talking about like what they've seen and what they've been through, you can kind of picture exactly what the consequences of such an issue is. And that drive makes you more motivated to do something to at least try and put an end to the problem. Services like like sewage systems Mm -hmm. and water treatment facilities and probably, I think we assume that the incinerators and things would also fall under that umbrella of whatever vague definition (laughs) of this public facility was given. I think it was just mainly meant to regulate that in some way. Looking in the beginning, because I'm, I'm very into, like, legislation. Just so boring, but it's true. And so I was like, hmm, I wonder what legislation might exist relating to these issues. I was digging all through the Pennsylvania legislature website or whatever, and this was the only thing that I could find. Or, like, did I even, I don't think I even found it. I think one of else did. It was, like, the only thing that we could all find that was even mildly related to this topic, and we don't even know if it actually is related to the topic. And the bill's text is only like a few pages long and it's written in this weird sort of legal language. And it's just, it just really shows how highly inaccessible these, inaccessible these issues are and how inaccessible the solutions are, I feel like. Because it's very easy for legislators to go, oh yeah, we're doing something about this. Here's a bill. But are they? Because I can't tell. I can't read it. And I think that's part of the problem, maybe. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting issue because obviously like a lot of people... They really care about their communities and they want to do something to help. But if they, it it can be really intimidating sometimes if you don't know where to start or if you feel like you keep running into these barriers to entry. Um, And like, obviously, you know, the bills are written, I guess, in a way to be very efficient or formal or whatever. But then like everyday people, like it's a lot harder to kind of comprehend exactly what's going on. And if you don't really have a good idea of what's going on, that you don't really have a good idea of how you can do anything to help. Um, so I do think making that sort of information more accessible and like letting people have at least the chance to, you know, have the knowledge to do something about it is pretty important. I think, you know, one thing that I am very excited for is that like we have seen changes, um, you know, for example, like the city council um, in of Chester, like, their board itself, like, now there's finally, you know, representation for, you know, Chester residents who feel as if the incinerator is unjust, Um, and that's definitely, like, a step in the right direction, and even, you know, at the rally, people were talking about how the contracts themselves with Covanta, um, there's, like, a specific um, section that's, like, you know, you don't have to send your trash here, so now there's an option, at least, you know, which didn't exist before, and the contracts themselves are, like, going from, like, 10 years and 5 years to, like, shorter amounts of time, like, 3 years, um, which is all, like, a step in the right direction. I think that gives me a lot of hope, um, for the future, and, you know, I think eventually this incinerator will be shut down because it's what's necessary. And I think on the grand scheme of things, the overarching, I guess, theme for me throughout this podcast was understanding how circular this situation is, because as we make our individual choices, we have a small contribution to these 
bigger ideas of the fashion industry and textile waste and waste management. And I think overall, I through GirlGov, I've got a greater understanding of how I'm able to have a role in dealing with environmental injustices, as well as also understanding the bigger roles that corporations and companies have over the environment and how important it is that, you know, maybe I don't think about the smaller decisions and harp on my smaller decisions, but work on making sure that companies and corporations are held accountable for their larger effects on the environment. I was going to say about what we were talking about with, like, it being difficult to read bills. I think GirlGov has made me, like, it's exciting to, like, start to kind of understand that, like, I'm capable of understanding these issues and that, like, I can also, like, spread that to my peers and, like, this feels like an entryway into, like, being more involved with that despite, like, all the challenges with difficult, like, lingo and everything being, like, gatekept in a way. And, like, it's so hard to access these, like, these corporations and people that are, like, in charge of our futures, but GirlGov feels like a starting point and, like, somewhere that we can, like, come together and, like, potentially build off of. I think that's definitely, it's made me realize, too, that these issues exist, barely, how we're talking about how a lot of us just had no idea these issues were a thing until GirlGov. That definitely helped, not just with this issue, but with other issues as well. That's definitely had a major impact on the way that I view myself as having an impact on the world. That's too many impacts for one sentence. but And then also just getting to meet other people who also care about these issues. It's kind of disheartening going to high school every day with a bunch of people who just don't care because it's not cool to care or whatever. But you come here, there's people who really do, and it's really it's nice to have. <laughs> That's all I can say. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's also been really cool meeting everyone. Um and seeing everyone who's like so passionate about these issues and really work willing to put in the time and the effort um, on these committees. Um, and that's really, that's really cool to see, I think. And doing something solely just because you really do care about it. It's been really nice. This podcast is produced by the Fund for Women and Girls. To support GirlGov and other important causes in Chester County, please visit www.thefundcc.org.